What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome to Art of War and Broken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, as always, Blake Law. This is episode 85 of the podcast, and we are very happy you're able to join us today. They say we learned the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this show aims to do. We're going to interview an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to talk about those mistakes they may or may not have made. We're going to break them down. We're going to remix them. We're going to put them right back at you. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? I've done it a lot. Now, for this one, we are going to my home state of Arkansas. We're going up to Springdale, Arkansas. We're talking about the melee at Shiloh. It has grown exponentially every year. It was a 60-man event this year, and everyone listening should try to fight for a ticket next year and force Bride to expand to 120. Do it. Let's make this event massive. It's actually an awesome time. It's an awesome place, and I think you all should come. We're going to be talking about Gene Stiller cults this this week. We're going to be talking about their game into Mr. Brad Chester Salamanders. Now, this is part one of the episode. This part will be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, secondaries, and target priority. In part two, it's available to subscribers at the Art of War Patreon. We'll be talking about their list, your list, my list, Matt Morisali's list, everybody's list and how it plays into it. We're going to be talking about list adjustments, strategy adjustments, and that very, very sweet, very lucrative elite player mindset. My co-host today is a champion of all things good. He comes from a land down under. He is a member of the Australian WTC team, and he wins a lot of stuff. He was a top eight LVO. Let me throw that in there. That's a new thing on your intro. I'm talking about Mr. Matt Morisali. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, it's um, it, it's awesome. I'm really excited for for today. I think um, that the GSC are really a really cool faction. I think um, we're gonna we're gonna see this matchup a lot. I think obviously Marines are, are doing really well at the moment. I think that GSC are in a really good spot, and I'm kind of um, kind of interested to dive in today and just sort of understand a little bit about how this game went. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. I gotta tell the people listening just for a minute, Matt, here that that was the longest like three minute recording we've ever done in the history of Unbroken. I think it was what twenty six hours or something of recording for this because we uh, we started last night and we just finished it off. So uh, thanks for being patient, uh, Matt. Yeah, I, Hayden, hope, uh, <laughs> I hope people appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope it sounds right. We, we don't have to tell anyone about the cheeky splice, do we? we let's, let's just hope it sounds right. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna sound good, man. I think people are gonna enjoy it. Uh, our guest today is someone that I've wanted to get on this show for quite some time. He's one of our local savants. His dad literally taught me how to play the game, and his dad owns the game store there in Springdale. So last time I saw Peyton, I think he was nine. I think that's what we had uh, come to the conclusion of. Yeah, that sounds about right. When when I got into the game, you were nine years old. You're like a child in your dad's shop, which is crazy because you beat me this last weekend. So I got beat by in my mind a nine year old. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a while since uh, we had gotten to play for sure. Um, uh, I'm pretty happy uh, being able to ex- expand to the 40K community. Um, and I've been playing 40K competitively about two, three years now. Uh, and I'm glad to be able to come on the show. Yeah, last time we played was actually, I think it was at your dad's fantasy tournament like a decade ago. So that's pretty crazy, too, because you were a fantasy player back then. So it's it's kind of crazy to see you make the jump over to 40k and be so successful with it. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I grew up playing fantasy, uh, obviously having my dad own a game store made it pretty easy to get in the hobby. Um, so that's what I grew up doing. And then since fantasy died, just been looking for what game I want to look at and spend my time becoming competitively good at that game. And 40 K eventually won out. So I've been playing that. Now you've actually had some success in the last year too. You finished, you were in the final cut. You were in the top eight of the Dallas open and you won to the final four. Didn't you actually, uh, I ended up getting fourth in that, um, in the normal event, I ended up losing to Colin McDade on an orc table, uh, with Drew Curry. And then in the final cut, I ended up playing on that same table into Colin McDade in the top eight, um, <laughs> and losing to him again. But, um, that was a, that was the first event I had really performed at a national level. Um, and that's when really I started coming into my own at a competitive level of 40 K. I want you to know that I was going to bring you on my unbroken back then, but you were playing Jokari and like every other, other episode is Jokari. So I was like, we got to slow down on this. So Peyton's going to come in. Uh, <laughs> Peyton's going to have to lose, lose a single game with another faction, which you've done. And I'm very excited about, uh, and you, you lost to Brad Chester, which is no small feat. Cause I mean, that's a, uh, that's a pretty tough matchup regardless of what Brad's on. So now me and you have a joined event that we were going to talk about. So, there is an event for everyone kind of in our area here in the Arkansas or even in the Midwest area. It's going to be in Jacksonville, Arkansas. It's called uh, March Madness, and it's hosted by Centaur. That's C-E-N-T-A-R, and it's centaurgaming.com. I think it's around a 60-man event on March 18th. I think that's the weekend before Depticon. So if you're looking to get some Adepticon practice in and come hang out with some of the Arkansas guys, which are all a lot of fun, uh, make sure to check it out. Go to centaurgaming.com, sign up. I know, Peyton, you're going to be there right yeah i'm gonna be there um this is an event arkansas held historically it took a couple years off in covid um the guys that were running it took a step back but centaur have taken the reins back up on it and started running it again i'm really excited um and i'm really excited to go support those guys and take the gsc for another run I never, I don't, I don't just do these the announcements for anyone on this show. So I got to say that these guys are awesome. The guy who runs it. It's amazing. His name's Nate. Um, this super great dude. And, uh, you should go check out his event. It's going to be a great time. Matt, how do you, how you feeling, Matt? How's, how's everything been going down with post LVO, um, prepping for the new Australia meta over there? Yeah, good, man. Uh, I took, uh, took a couple of weeks off after LVO. I didn't really play any games for, you know, for a little bit. Um, but getting, you know, getting back into it now, obviously we've picked our WTC team and we're sort of, you know, beginning that process. So really kind of looking forward to, to WTC. I've got, I think, three team events over the next five weeks, something like that. So lots on. Um, really just, um, you know, just, just trying some different stuff and, and seeing what sticks at the moment. I'm not really a, you know, a faction jumper, meta chaser kind of guy, so I'm going to gonna keep playing the demons for a bit, but I nice. think we're going to sort of wait till a little bit closer to 10th to sort of decide who's going to be on what. So I'm, I'm kind of just playing a little bit of everything at the moment, man. I'm having a, a good time. Got a very big, very big team tournament, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend that has all of the Australian WTC team playing in different teams and uh, some of the other best players in the country. So that one's going to be, be really good. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm going to follow that, actually. That's going to be exciting. You got a bunch of talent spread out. That's going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah, there's probably like five teams that could win that have all got really good players. So it'll be, uh, it'll be exciting. 
that is that's all. I feel like that's the best way to do it because you always you have you can put betting odds on it and you can make drink bets and things like that. That's always a good time. Um, I don't know if Camilleri told you or not, but the band's back together for Adepticon. We got uh, B Camilleri, John and Jack are are running it back for Adepticon with Demons this year, actually. Hey, well, that's exciting. I've apparently got Anthony Vanella on my team for WATC this year, but I'm still not convinced that he's going to fly all the way to, you know, Perth of all places. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he doesn't, I will. I'll dress up as a wombat. So uh, you, you are more than welcome, but it is. Uh, let me tell you, it's uh, it's 18 hours from LA plus however far you are into the country it is a long flight my dude <laughs> i'll be your mascot i'll dress i'll dress up as a native like a kangaroo or wombat or something and just like uh stand around the event lock it in lock it in um so talking about the terrain here for the melee at shiloh peyton why don't you run us through how the terrain was set up and kind of how it all went down yeah so um the like i said the tournament organizer was uh, a combination of my dad and then a local judge here in arkansas and there were some concerns of player placed um, style terrain. So we decided we didn't want to go that route. Um, so what we did was we created the uh, deployment maps um, for every, we created like maps for every deployment style. So Dawn of War, um, the nine inch cutouts in the center, stuff like that. We posted those in the player pack. Um, so every, t- every round the tables would get reset. Uh, we would have, uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, about eight ruins, varying in size, and two forests on every table. Um, we were hoping for a little bit more, but the event exploded in growth this year. Um, and so that's what terrain was looking like. Uh, it was, It's a little bit light compared to some of the other um, events that you'll see, but um, it was still enough to where you could hide all the important bits in your deployment zone turn one, usually, and have a, a, a small staging grounds across the board. Um, that was the hope uh, from the train uh, this year. I thought that it was a good problem for y'all to have because I think what the the big complaint that I heard a lot of people talk about with the event was that there was it wasn't like quite enough because there was kind of open shooting lanes and stuff. But the reason that it wasn't is because y'all literally doubled in size, probably like instantly. It seemed like because last year we were at what thirty four, this year at like fifty nine. So that's pretty insane that the event's doing so well. And I know that um, I'll, I'll be there next, next year. I'll to throw some terrain y'all's away too. But I, I love the set terrain. That's my favorite way to play. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was that, that, that issue was for sure a thing that we had. Um, we also had the 20 sign up in the past and the like month before list lock. Um, <laughs> but we ended up buying um, a bunch of terrain right after the event. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure to have a ton more next year to make sure that it's less of an issue. Yeah, but, it was, it was the best. I have to say that this was the best Shiloh. I've, I've been to this. This would have been my second one in 40 K, but I've been to probably like, I don't know, seven or so counting fantasy in the early 40 K days. And this was by far the best Shiloh it was the most people. It was super smooth. All the rounds started on time. There was a stream table. Literally. I don't think there was a single hiccup the entire weekend and to double in size, just kudos to your dad and to Nick who just really handled it so well. So it was a great event. I highly recommend it to anyone out there. For sure, for sure. And we're always looking to grow, looking to be a better event, um, especially for this area. Um, <laughs> there's not a ton of events in Arkansas, so we're looking to be the premier one, you know? Before we get started, can I get a Woopix, Uh Sure. It's <laughs> uh, been a minute since I did one of those. Whoopix Ah, there we go. That's what I'm talking about right there. Every Arkansas person has to do it when they come on here. So that's perfect. Why don't we go ahead and run us through your list here, Peyton. Tell us about your GSE. Yeah. Um, 
So I started uh, playing GSE relatively free, uh, relatively recently, but my list is um, inspired a little bit by Eric Lathos and by Ennis Wilson. I just took their lists and put my own personal little twists on it. Um, so I am playing a custom cult. Um, we took a custom toil, uh, which is baby transhuman for the army. Cold-eyed killers, which is uh, sixes to wound or plus one AP in combat. Industrial affinity, so the seismic cannons ignore the hit modifiers. And war convoy, which is that six up fuel no pain on all the bikes, um, which just adds another layer of survivability to them. I have for my HQs, I've got a uh, Primus, who's the warlord. Uh, I have a Magus, who has the unwilling orb. Uh, which gives her two denies anywhere on the board, and that was really just to, uh, to mess with uh, psychic armies that are trying to do things like psych, uh, psych or warp ritual, uh, stuff like that. Um, and it also gives me access to fall back and shoot as a psychic power and advance and charge as a psychic power, which were um, which were tech pieces into the guard matchup. And because I wasn't super familiar with the army yet, I wasn't sure how much I needed that fall back and shoot. Um, my last uh, HQ was the Icon Ward, uh, who resurrects bikes and neophytes all game. Um, my troop choices, I have two Acolyte squads with four Hand Flamers in each squad. I have th uh, three 20-man neophyte squads. Um, the first one has Perfect Ambush uh, with four grenade launchers and four seismic cannons. Perfect Ambush uh, is a points upgrade you put in pre-game that allows you to treat all units as exposed that are within 12 inches of you the turn you come in from reserves, uh, which just lets them require a little bit less setup. Uh, the second 20-man is the Lying in Wait. This is a 3-inch Deep Strike squad. They have four seismic cannons, four flamers, and the squad is all shotguns. Um, the last 20-man is the from a every angle unit, so that means uh, after I know who goes first, I can choose to put them back in strategic reserves. And then I have two 10-mans um, that are still seismic cannons, but uh, with the more troop slots available now, I just felt like splitting the these 20-mans into 10-mans, uh, so they require less, less investment if the entire squad has to shoot center crossfires or stuff like that, was, was relatively valuable. Um, in the elites... I have nine pure strengths with they came from below. So when they pop up from those blips, they get to make a full move or go back to reserves. Um, and then I have a Sanctus, a Nexos with Cranial Inray, Inlay, and the Kelomorph with those Wormtooth rounds. And then for fast attacks, I have three squads of Adelin Jackals. There are two Wolf Quads with Flamers, two Grenade Launchers, and two Demo Chargers in all squads. And that's yeah, those the bikes, list. Those bikes are pretty annoying, man. I'm not going to lie to you. You sit there and you're like, oh, man, this night army is going to grind them down, grind them down. Then it's like, nah. Then we're going to hide it. We're going to we're gonna spawn back some quads. Oh, my gosh, man. Talk about, like, talk about an army that makes you want to pull your hair out like halfway through the game. Oh, man. First hand experience for sure. Yeah, for sure. Those bikes are so annoying, man. <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead, Matt? Why don't you go ahead and run us through uh, what, what Brad took there with the salamanders? Yeah, so this um, this Sally's list is pretty interesting. I, I'm, I said I'm really keen on this matchup. I'm really keen to understand what happened because I look at it and I feel like it doesn't really have the tools for the GSC. But then you look into it a little bit more, and there are some things that you could definitely do. So I'm I'm really sort of excited to understand if uh, if it played out sort of the way that I'm, I'm thinking that it did. But Brad's got uh, vanilla salamanders, so no successor chapter. We've got um, a primaris chapter master. Uh, with the Obsidian Aquila, uh, we've got uh, Falcon Nistan, we've got two units of Fire Infiltrators with the Helix Gauntlets, 
uh, a unit of aggressors um, with uh, the uh, Flamestorm Gauntlets. Then, uh, sorry, it's, it's a unit of, uh, uh, of five there uh, total. Uh, there is, sorry, a unit of six, sorry. The Sergeant is listed separately there. Uh, the Apothecary uh, with Selfless Healer. A uh, unit of uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh, five Vanguard Vets. We've got some Power Fists. We've got some, uh, sorry, uh, Power Swords, some Chain Swords, and a Power Fist with the Sergeant. Three units of three Attack Bikes with Multi Melters. Three Land Speeders uh, with the Assault Cannon Multi Melter. Uh, two units of Devastators with Last Cannons uh, and a Thunder Hammer on the Sergeant. Uh, and a unit of Eradicators uh, with two Multi Melters and then the normal melter rifle on the sergeant. So a whole lot of, um, I guess, low volume, high AP, high output weapons. Uh, but really this army is just like, it's taking advantage of the free war gear everywhere. This looks like it would have been about 2,400 points before the, uh, before the points update dropped, I think. Um, and it's just like, it's kind of a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. Even if the guns aren't the most effective guns into GSC, it is still lots of bodies, lots of attacks, you know, Chapter Master to make the right units hit things. Um, it's, you know, very, very good into, like, I suppose, other Marines, probably really good into into Guard. I think it's a relatively good meta choice for, for right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, uh, but when, you, when you're when you doing, shooting uh, melted guns like Bolters, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. It's like, oh, that unit mm -hmm. there, I'll shoot 10 melted guns into it. Done. Yeah, for sure. And look, the Infiltrators are very annoying for GSC as well. Obviously, there's ways to deal with it um but you know it is it is very annoying to play against as well that free helix gauntlet i gotta say it's very annoying it's more annoying than you think it's gonna be yeah you, absolutely especially as a night player i'll tell you oh my gosh you're trying to get rid of them is a, a nightmare yeah. um but all right yeah so tell us a little bit what mission did you play brad on and what secondaries did you take so we played on conversion um he doesn't give up any specific kill secondaries so i went with my normal game plan with gene stealers which is uh, you t you take Brood Swarm because it's the most absurd secondary in the game. Uh, you take uh, Ambush because it's a reliable kill secondary. And then you take Banners or R&D. Tell me about those I, first two, those specific ones. What exactly do they do for your faction yeah. there? So Brood Swarm is a movement secondary. Uh, you score a point if you have more models in your deployment zone than your opponent. You score a point if you have more models in No Man's Land than your opponent. You score a point if you have more models in your opponent's deployment zone than your opponent. You score a point if you have more models on the board than your opponent. And if you hit all four categories, you get a free bonus point. Yeah, that seems really good for that army, actually. It is a very, very, very solid secondary. Um, I I was tabled this game and scored a 14. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, other one, the, the kill one is, um, how does it, how's so, it work into the army? So you get, uh, it can only score during your turn. You get two points if you kill a unit with a crossfire token with shooting attacks. You kill two, you get two points if you kill a unit that is exposed naturally. You can't use like uh, the jackals or the the jackals uh, data sheet rule to always count as exposed or the stratagem to count as exposed to trigger it. It has to be like actually exposed, but it's two points for that. And it's two points if you kill a unit with a unit that came in from reserves. With um, that caps at five per uh, for, per turn, but it's just a really solid two per turn. The exos can throw a crossfire on something. You kill it. You score two. Um, I'm on sure your you're drop big turn, points when you, yeah, when you drop on the in. drop turn, you'll score four or fives on those turns. Um, but it's just a really reliable kill secondary, um, even into armies like this or custodies where they don't give up kill secondaries. Yeah, that's solid. Um, and then what do you remember what Brad took versus you? 
So this was actually a little bit of a debate because he wanted three secondaries in the same category. Um, he ended up taking banners. He took uh, Codex Warfare, and he took no prisoners, I believe. Okay, nice. And when you walk up to the table and you look at this matchup, do you feel like this is a, a tough matchup for you, or do you feel like this is something that you could standardly handle? So I think this is one of the worst Marine matchups for me, um, but Marines is generally a fine matchup. Um, the reason, looking at this list specifically, the reason um, I don't, I think it's harder for me in general is they have two sources of chapter master in this list, which cuts into the bike efficiency a lot. So that's, uh, so that can be a struggle for me. They also have a friend overwatch with flamers and max shot flamers uh, in salamanders, which lets him be very efficient in picking up neophyte squads. That's fair. Um, so those are the things that I'm looking at. Uh, they also, um, they kept a form of armor contempt. They get to ignore AP one, um, which there is still a decent amount of AP one shooting in GSC. So ignoring that is a big deal. So the, those little small ticks and in cutting into GSC efficiency makes this one of the worst Space free matchups, but in general, space means is a fine matchup. Coming into this, I didn't think I was advantaged, really, or disadvantaged overall. And you have Chester, who's who's a veteran player, pilot in the list. That makes it a little bit tougher too, just by default. I mean, prob- sure. probably one of the stronger players at the event. Um, so tell me, how did turn one kind of? How did you deploy? And how did turn one kind of play out? So it was the last game of day one. So I kind of went on autopilot here and did my standard deployment. I threw down a bunch of blips. Um, and deployed the bikes so I could pregame move the bikes. Um, I think in retrospect, deploying the bikes instead of just dropping three more blips was a little bit of a mistake. Um, but uh, I deployed the bikes. Um, I didn't pregame move them um, after after deployment, but it was three three units of bikes on the line and then a bunch of blips in my deployment zone. Um, one blip was set up to be able to be at the icon ward to where he would be in range of all three bike squads, and one blip was set up to be the pure strains to where they could either um, go eight inches backwards into my home ruin or eight inches forward and easily get to infiltrator squads. Um, and uh, then we went off to the roll off, uh, the first turn roll off, and Brad was able to win that. In his first turn, it was just basically shoot bikes. Uh, obviously, he's played the matchup before. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He overcommitted. Or maybe not overcommitted, but he fully committed to killing one bike squad and making sure one full bike squad was dead. Um, and then he put a couple other shots into the into a second one, but full killed the bike squad and was able to take a lot of board space. And that was how turn one, his turn one, and deployment went. Um, on my turn one, uh, I went forward. I saw a play to go for some aggressors um, and hit one squad of infiltrators, and I went for that play. Uh, however, the bikes with all the buffs and stuff, weren't able to take the aggressors out. I was able to take out the infiltrators with the pure strains, and then that was basically my turn. I had moved blocked him and his his side of the board and tagged two squads of attack bikes and all three speeders, and that was it for my turn. And then kind of how did, so after that plays out, where do you see the board state and kind of how do you, what's your thought as far as adapting to the game? So at that point, um, I knew I was down on attrition. So, and I knew I was going to be down on attrition because I needed to kill the aggressors because the aggressors, uh, one thing with this list is he doesn't spend almost any game, any CP pregame. So he has plenty of CP to do things like born heroes 
and or sorry, born protectors and flamecraft. Um, so the the aggressors can reliably pick up two neophyte squads because he can they'll be wounding on threes, rerolling all their uh, wound rolls at max shots. So it's seventy two shots hitting on threes with full rerolls. So I knew that I was going to be down on attrition and just play for the scenario at this point. Um, so that's what I was trying to do was just keep the move block on, score as much as possible, keep him keep him getting force um, because he did properly screen his home objective. There was no way. Um, I was getting a, I was going to deny him his home objective, uh, because he just buried a unit of infiltrators, um, on that objective, surrounded it with his devs, uh, and stuff like that. Just how does that, that work with your rules? So you can't be within 12 regardless of any of your right. rules. Infiltrators overrule everything. They overrule the demon deep strikes. They overrule GSC. Um, so infiltrators are key in this matchup for sure. Um, and him having two squads of them made the matchup much more difficult than me. Because, I, like I said, I was able to kill one squad turn one, and, but him having a second squad to protect his home his home quarter on turn two and three was a big deal. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, so, we, like, we dro- I drop down, um, I kill, on turn two, I kill all the attack bikes and some speeders um, and hold them to a four-on primary. And at that point, um, I'm so far down on attrition, it just starts, uh, so he keeps picking up those 20 mans because even though he has low, most of his guns are quality guns, because he has two sources of chapter master, he's so efficient, he really doesn't drop any hits and stuff. Um, because, like, one squad of aggressors or attack bikes can reel all their hits and wounds from Vulcan, and then uh, one squad gets chapter mastered, and then they have the Salamanders reroll on top, and he has CP to, ch- to CP reroll if needed. So he was just a very, very efficient army. Um, was able to just clear um, enough of the enough of them to where eventually he on turn five he was able to score twelve, and um, was able to hold me to a four on my turn five to the point where I wasn't able because he had basically tabled me at, um, by turn by my turn five and I wasn't able to really make a primary push on bottom of turn, but. It, at, after turn two, like turn two, just wasn't able to clear quite enough stuff. And like I said, that turn one, I went, I went for a kind of a greedy play with those bikes to try to clear the aggressors because I knew they were going to be the piece that either wins or loses me the game. Um, and I wasn't able to pull them off, so the apothecary kept pulling them back, uh, putting models back, and eventually the the aggressors were just able to pick up about one and a half squads of neophytes every turn, and were able to keep him in the game. I was about to say, yeah, if you don't get that squad down, that squad is a huge problem for you because they're just so freaking efficient in salamanders and they have that profile that just melts like your T3 bodies. Right. And so like he starts, he started on four CP on his turn two, he was on seven. So spending two CP a turn to max shots on them is not a big deal for him. So it's 72 shots with real wounds, auto hitting. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty rough. <laughs> That's exactly my dude, <laughs> right? <laughs> Matt, how um, so, do you feel like this matchup? When you look at it on paper, you seem to think that um, that Brad was at a disadvantage going into this. What What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, look, so it's really interesting, right? Because Marines have a few tricks here that really sort of, I guess, interact with the GSC army in an interesting way. So, like 
uh, the way Peyton's already described this, it's like if you can dive the aggressors and kill the aggressors, then it's great. But if you don't kill them, you know, you've essentially thrown an entire unit away for nothing. Because even if you kill three of them, there's going to be four on your opponent's following turn and you have to dive them again. Uh, and then if you don't kill them again, even if there's two left, they can spend two turns, you know, resurrecting those models. And then on turn four and turn five still have a functional unit. And at that point, you've traded like two full bike units for essentially, you know, no gain, right? So that's a really big problem there. So I guess identifying how likely you are to kill that unit, I don't know what the math is. I feel like it's probably not great. You've got to throw a bunch of CP into demo charges and things like that to, uh, to actually make it work. And at a certain point, look, at a certain point you can just charge. At a certain point you can just throw the bikes into the aggressors and try and pick off the last one or two guys. You know, it's not the most reliable play in the world, but it does, you know, it is a play you can make. Um, I think I agree with the assessment that selling the bikes and the blips would have been better. The aggressors are slow and they have to walk towards you to impact the game. So if you start the bikes and blips, at least you can not lose a unit turn one to shooting and then... You know, if you throw that unit away to go and trade with aggressors, you're sort of like net neutral because you would have lost that unit that was on the board anyway. Um, so that was my thought as well, was if I put them on the line, they have to start nine inches back. And because we're on those corner deployments that are pretty deep, I can redeploy the bikes backwards and guarantee not lose any bikes turn one. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, that's probably what I should have done with my deployment. Uh, remind me, you had two 10-man units and two five-man acolyte units. Is that right? For uh, what was on, deployed on the board? I don't know, it's just, just total, because you have three, three 20 have, man acolyte units, sorry, three 20 man neophyte units. Um, and then two 10 man neophyte squads and two acolyte squads. Yeah, so like in my mind, I'm kind of thinking while the 20 mans drop, they put the seismic cannons out, you know, out of a ruin, poking their heads out to shoot. When he shoots you back, because nothing has a lot of, besides the aggressors, nothing shoots volume here. Like the attack bikes shoot six shots of multi melters, the devs shoot four last cannons, the land speeders shoot, what is it, seven, eight shots? Like nothing shoots volume. You just kill your seismic cannons. He can't shoot you anymore because he's, uh, you know, like shot, like, I guess, small, like, it's MSU shooting, right? It's like, a few shots here, a few shots here. You just kill your seismic cannons. You can't see you anymore. Then you resurrect the seismic cannons with the, the icon ward and you shoot again. That, that's kind of like how I'm feeling that Brad is disadvantaged. But obviously, if you're doing that, you're not using the 20-man units to move block to go stand on objectives to do things like that. So I'm kind of thinking that Brad's disadvantaged because he doesn't have reliable ways to go, I kill 20 neophytes in one activation, because that's what you kind of need to do to get around the... Uh, the Icon Ward bringing guys back. But at the same time, you also have to kill the unit that can delete 20 Neophytes in one activation. So you kind of have to do both things for that to work out. So in my mind, that's sort of what I'm looking at this and saying, hey, this is why I feel like the GSC is somewhat advantaged. But at the same time, if you dive the um, uh, if you dive the aggressors and you don't kill the aggressors, like this whole play kind of just doesn't work because they walk up to your building and they delete 20 guys anyway, and then you lose all the shooting from the, the shotguns. So you, you waste that shooting, essentially. So I think um, from the way it sounds, it's actually a, there's a bit more interplay going on than I thought. Like I sort of looked at this and I was like, well, how does this ever kill enough bodies? But I guess the aggressors is a, a massive problem if you can't get through them relatively early. Right, and uh, this was the first time I had gotten to play into Salamanders since the data slate. Uh, I had a lot of reps into AOC Salamanders, but I uh, it it didn't click with me till about halfway through turn one. That after I'd already done my math on how many how much 
uh, a one full 10-man bite squad kills if you pump CP into them. And yeah. the math was about four models. And then I was like, okay, with four models, then I turn off Overwatch and I charge them. That's fine. Um, yes. But uh, I had completely forgotten that they will ignore the AP on the Flamers and the Grenade Launchers. Because gotcha. that's yeah. Salamander's chapter trait. Um, like I said, first game into not AOC Salamanders. Um, and th- that changed the math. I only killed two when shooting. And at that point, it- it's not worth going in for the charge. Yeah, then uh, they bring one back and you kill one model and you lose a whole yeah. unit for it, right? Yeah, right. so like, I, I don't know, may, may, maybe there's a world where like you put two in and then, you know, they go when they touch infiltrators and they touch other things as well and they just kind of are generally annoying for your opponent to deal with at that point. And you sort of don't really care if they die because you've dealt with some infiltrators and you've dealt with the aggressors and then you sort of bring the waves of shooting in and you kind of win that shooting war at that point because they can't, like I said, they can't delete, you know, full units of neophytes with one activation. Um, but yeah, that, that's the thing, like going from an armor of consent meta where everyone has got this like mental math baked into their head about how much stuff does, uh, it's just really awkward to go and play without it, but then play salamanders that kind of have it as well. Uh, I feel like it would just, it would throw my mental math so much going and doing that right now. I I hope I don't play salamanders in the next couple of weeks. I think it will actually, actually throw my mental math in, uh, in the exact same way. Peyton, over the course of the weekend, what would you say is your MVP and what's on the chopping block? Um, so I want to cut one character for, uh, and some hand flamers for two more squads of, uh, acolytes. I'm not sure if the character that gets cut is the Magus or the Sanctus. It's one of the two. I also want to move from every angle off of the, uh, 20 man because they stay where they're going to be every game. Cause I need the damage to start on the board in case my opponent gets very aggressive. Um, but I do want able to just make a blip disappear with that upgrade. So I'll probably move that upgrade around a little bit. Things that I'm looking to, uh, things that were great this weekend, uh, the Kalamorph. Oh yeah, the Kalamorph melted me. <laughs> dude is absurd. Um, <laughs> he, he's so good. Uh, and the Nexus just being able to start the crossfire chain is a big deal. Um, those two were great. Also, the next event I'm going to will be on um, GW style terrain. Is that so, the March Madness? Yes, it, the looking at the player pack, all the all their terrains are uh, GW style terrain. Oh, nice! So I'm looking to add in the excavate upgrade, which you pick after deployment. You pick one terrain piece, and it loses um, light terrain, heavy terrain, defensible, and gains the difficult ground keyword. Yo, I was going to ask about that. I was going to save that for part two, but you've uh, you beaten. He's too. ruined. Also, um, I have to say, Matt, that you're like O for four now on ask. I beat me to the question, so um, it's not even do, a game do, for anymore. Do, do you know what, Blake? I just decided that I'm so much better than you at 40k. I'm gonna let you have something. So, oh uh, my god! <laughs> I'm gonna let you have. It, it's like uh, you're at the kids' table. I'll let the kids play. It's all right. <sighs> Fine. No, I, 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 I know when I've been beaten. Uh, I, I, I will. Uh, I'll take that one. <laughs> Dang it. Well, that's a, that's a fair point. He is much better at 40K than me, so I guess I'll just have it. Uh, but I, I would like some competition, Matt. But um, uh, All right. I'll, I'll step my game up, man. I guess I just got to. You know. What did we decide is the name of your part two? I, I don't know. You, you come up with a different one every week. Um, what, what, what is it today? I, I'm excited. Let's, let's, let's have a Tyranny GSC-themed one. Uh, like, I'm putting gonna- you on the spot here. I was gonna go with the Sully slap because uh, we're gonna slap we're gonna slap him in the shape. You're gonna get you're gonna get the Sully slap here in part two, Peyton. Hope you're excited for it. I don't think he's getting slapped though. He kind of already knows what's up. <laughs> maybe, 
the Sully's advice is going to slap. Like it's like a good thing, you know, not necessarily a slap in the face, but like, oh man, that slaps, you know, that, um, that new kid lingo. I'm too old for that, but dude. <laughs> I'm too old for that, but I heard someone say it one time and it felt like the right thing to say. Yeah. All right. Let's go with that. <laughs> this is the only slap it is then. Thanks for joining us, Peyton. Join us for part two, everybody. Make sure to check out our other podcast. We have the Art War Vanilla now with Nick Nanavati. It's time to party. We have the very, 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 only slightly less Australian Art War Down Under with the late and great Adam Kimmelier. We, of course, are the flavor you didn't know you loved till you tried us, the Art War Pistachio. Join us for part two. Thanks for listening. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.